If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call. They'd write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of a large man sitting behind a comically small desk to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. And the logical fallacy we're looking at this week is the thought-terminating cliché, also known as semantic stop sign. I say we, but I'm going to have to leave you in the capable hands of Jim flying solo with help from one or two others in a have I got news for you kind of way for the next several episodes. The work I'm currently doing means there'd be a conflict of policies in doing this, especially at the moment. But I'll be back to join in the fun again when this period is over. Meanwhile, then I'll hand you back over to Jim, who explained the thought terminating cliché. So the thought terminating cliché is when someone uses a a phrase, usually a commonly understood or or well-used phrase, to to stop debate in some way. So it gets in the way of them answering a question or prevents someone else from rebutting what they've said in some way, just kind of shuts down the debate. And our first example from Trump is actually quite a famous example because it comes from the Axios interview that he did with Jonathan Swan where he said this about the coronavirus. I think it's under control. I'll tell you what. How? A thousand Americans are dying a day. They are dying. That's true. And you ha- it is what it is. So this was very widely reported, obviously, because it's a horrendous thing to say about this situation, about, about a thousand Americans a day dying. And, and obviously the numbers uh, have only gone up from there. But to look at that situation... And instead of saying, uh, this is absolutely appalling, it can't be allowed to continue, we're going to have to, you know, we're going to do absolutely everything we can, we are doing everything we can, and we are looking at ways to to improve and really kind of put all our efforts behind stopping this because it's unacceptable. Instead of doing that, to say, yeah, it is what it is, is just unbelievable, which is why it was so, so widely reported. Um, but also, in this instance, this is being used to abdicate responsibility in this way, but also to 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 stop the conversation of how is you know Jonathan Swan asking why is this not under control? How can you say it's under control? This is what's happening. People are dying, and and he's not having that conversation. He's not engaging with that debate. And, and saying and accepting that he hasn't got it under control. He's just saying, well, you know, that's the situation. That's how it is. It's appalling, but it but it's a it's he's using a cliche to to stop the continuing thought and stop the debate. Another phrase that he uses very commonly to do this, um, he uses this in the same way 
as um, when he says things like everybody knows something, which we talked about in episode 50 in um, Alleged Certainty. And this one is when he says a thing that he is asserting is just common sense. You can't send out 60 million mail-in ballots to everybody in the... It, who knows who's getting them? The mailmen are going to get them, and uh, people are going to just grab batches of them. And you talk about China and Russia, they'll be grabbing plenty of them. It's a, it's a disaster. It's a rigged election waiting to happen. And it's just common sense. You wouldn't even have to know anything about politics or elections. It's common sense. So he's making all these completely outlandish claims about mail imbalance and their their likelihood that they're going to cause enormous, inevitable voter fraud. And, I mean, it wasn't true then. It's not true now. The evidence was not in his favour. But in order to remove any need for him to pre present evidence that what he's saying is true, he says it's just common sense. Because if something is genuinely common sense, you don't really need to present evidence for it in order to get other people to accept what you're saying. And it's it's this kind of just tactic of inserting this into the dialogue to that will probably convince some people that they don't actually need to ask for evidence of what he's saying. Because if, if he's claiming it's common sense, people don't want to look stupid and people don't want to, to necessarily argue back and say, well, I don't believe the thing that you're claiming everyone already knows and everyone agrees and is, is generally accepted. Um, because it's, it's going against the kind of the wisdom of the crowd or the, the general knowledge that people have. Obviously, you have to accept the premise that he's stating that this is common sense. It's not. And when he uses this phrase, it frequently isn't common sense, what he's saying. But it, it stops the debate. It stops the, the, neck, the thought process of, do I believe the, the claims he's making? Do I need to see more evidence? And our third example is also about stopping debate in, in a big way. This is not Trump. Um, but but he has said similar things as this. What I've got here is a compilation of Republican politicians and uh, kind of right-wing voices talking after mass shootings. And what they're saying in every case is some variation of the fact that now is not the time to talk about gun control. There's a time and place for a political debate, uh, but now is the time to unite as a country. The whole gun control thing, this is not the time and the place to be having that conversation. I don't want to do this gun control discussion right now. There's a day, place, and a time for all that. Let's wait and have that conversation later. I'm more than happy to talk about this in a few days. Right now is not the time. This is not the time to have the discussion. This is not the time for this. It's just not the time to dive into the politics and try to score political points. John, this is not the time to politicize a terrific, horrific incident like this. The question from a reporter talking about gun control was not very appropriate at this time. That's not the time to have that debate. So there are mass shootings quite frequently in the US saying that after one has happened, after there has been a, a significant incident like that, that that is not the time to talk about gun control, is, is effectively saying there is never the time. And this is very much kind of NRA talking point, and, and it's, it's saying, you know, we, we don't want to have this debate, uh, especially 
when emotions are high about it and especially when people are fired up about it and people want to see some change happening that's particularly for them not the time to talk about it um and it obviously that's going to be the time when more people are wanting to have that debate and and wanting to talk about it and the fact that the kids from uh, the parkland shooting the the kind of survivors of that did the march for our lives and and have kind of kept going coming back to it and bringing the debate up uh, away from specific mass shooting events they have kept they kept the debate going for a couple of months and people were still not engaging from the right in the debate because the the not the time thing was was never true it was never the reason that they didn't want to talk about gun control it was an excuse and it was using that cliche to say now is not the time now is the time for us to um unite as a country or the now is the time for this community to mourn or something like that instead of addressing the issue they were using it as a tool and as a method to to stop the the thought process that needed to go into trying to avoid this thing happening in the future. And now is the time, I think, for Mark's British politics corner. So Mark looked for um, examples of this among Boris's speeches and found out that actually it was a little bit more difficult to find uh, examples with Boris because in a kind of vague attempt to appear learned and erudite, he actually makes up his own metaphors and cliches rather than using existing ones um, which basically has the effect of stopping all thought from the very beginning instead of during a debate so there isn't there isn't a point at which he decides to kind of address a, a question that he's asked or anything like that usually at least with a, a common or well-known phrase and his scientific advisors because they actually address questions that they're given and actually want have information that they want to get across they never use the thought terminating cliche because they don't need to shut anything down basically they provide the informative answers that clarify things that people are looking instead of the the uh, foggy obscurantisms uttered by boris however um, Chancellor Rishi Sunak was on Sky News and Good Morning Britain last week defending the cut in the international aid budget, the budget which does good things around the world, and uh, his attempt to close down follow-up questions about it in both interviews utilised the thought-terminating cliché that all politicians seem to reach for, which is to invoke the general public and talk about we all, us as a nation, everybody, and how we should all be proud. So here is Rishi repeating general platitudes that could be applied to basically anything, really. We're doing so much and people should hold their head up high about the role we're playing. And I feel very good about the role that we're playing to tackle the world's most difficult problems. There's lots of things that we do uh, as a country. People should feel enormously pl- proud. So, so I think so everybody it, watching yeah. should feel very proud yeah. about the role we're playing so in the world. He's being asked questions specifically about the cut in a in a budget that helps us to help people around the world. And all he has to say basically is we should be proud about the work we're doing. And that stops the debate about kind of why it's being cut and what that effect is going to be and just um, kind of derails it and talks about how we're still we're doing good stuff and that's enough in some way. So uh, our second example 
is also from Rishi Sunak, or at least it starts off with Rishi Sunak and and also includes some clips of uh, Matt Hancock and indeed a Boris one. And this one is about the the fact that we now have a vaccine and it's been approved for for use in the UK. In fact, today they have vaccinated the first couple of people with it and uh, being asked questions about uh, where the money's coming from to, to roll out the vaccine, how many vaccines are coming in, basically just looking for more clarity and more information about this is uh, what gets these kinds of responses. And I know it's difficult and I appreciate and applaud everything these businesses are doing. They, they deserve enormous praise because uh, this is a team effort and nobody can do this sort of thing on their own. And it's something I hope that can bring us all together. And we must stick with it for now. We are not out of the woods yet. But we can see the way through this. As many have put it, the light at the end of the tunnel. So, again, these are all just kind of vague, general statements that don't really go anywhere, don't address any questions that are being asked or clar- or offer any new information or any clarity at all to, to what's being discussed. They're just the point at which um, they decide that they, they're not going to have any more debate about it, they're not going to have any more questions or any or any need to answer. And um, so they, they just come out with a vague platitude that that stops um, the, the flow of conversation or the debate, in this case, uh, just about generally looking for more information about what's actually going on. Judge the time counting those waiting for them to ratify And it can't be overthrown The mountains of silk suit and coronavirus Rushes the witness with a crazy eye Just for fun she says we was wrong That's just the way it is Biden's won again that just the way it is. Ha, but you don't believe them. Bruce Hornsby and the range there with their thought terminating song, That's Just the Way It Is. So in the Fallacy in the Wild, we like to talk about the Fallacy of the Week from a non-political perspective. And our first example this week comes from the Raiders of the Lost Ark, where Indy has visited Marion Ravenwood and is trying to get her to help him find an artefact. You know the piece I mean? You know where it is? <laughs> Come back tomorrow. Why? Because I said so, that's why. So Because I Said So is a classic effort to, to, to terminate a, a debate and to stop any continued argument or thought or anything like that um obviously this uh, represents parents throughout the world who use this as their means to just stop someone asking questions or stop stop having to justify what they've said because i said so doesn't provide any real weight in a way it's a it's an argument from uh, authority in a way cuz cuz the person who is saying, because I said so, usually has the authority, at least in this case, it's because Indy wants something from Marion. In in the case of parents, it's because they 
generally have the control in the relationship. Our second example is from Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy, and this is where Ron is trying to impress Veronica Corningstone. Discovered by the Germans in 1904, they named it San Diego, which of course in German means a whale's vagina. Hmm. No, there's no way that's correct. I'm sorry, I was trying to impress you. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what it means. <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't think anyone knows what it means anymore. Scholars maintain that the translation was lost hundreds of years ago. It, doesn't it mean Saint Diego? No. No? No, that's, that's what it means. <laughs> really. Well, agree to disagree. So... Ron obviously doesn't have the information that he needs to back up his his argument, obviously. So by saying agree to disagree, again, it's about just stopping the argument. It's that he doesn't he's not prepared to accept Veronica is is correct, um, but he doesn't have any way of presenting evidence that backs up his argument. And so instead he he terminates the debate by saying agree to disagree. This is a reasonably common thing that, that people do and sometimes it's necessary. Sometimes there's you genuinely are not going to get anywhere with um, someone you're debating with or arguing with because they won't accept your point of view and, and unless you just continually argue with them knowing that it's not going to have any effect, ultimately at some point you have to agree to disagree. You have to accept that you have one view, they have another view, they're not going to be able to convince you and you're not going to be able to convince them. And that's um, that's not fallacious when that happens, when you come to a kind of uh, an impasse and there really is just no point in continuing, then it's a reasonable thing to do, it's an acceptable thing to do. But in this case, Ron is using it because he has been bested in the argument very quickly um, and and he isn't prepared to, to accept that he's wrong. Our final example in this section is from The Big Lebowski. I see you roll your way into the semis. Dios mío, man. Liam and me, we're going to fuck you up. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. So the dude here represents anyone who's who's ever um, avoided a debate by simply saying, well, you know, the thing you've just said, that's your opinion. And then it removes the need to argue back. It removes the need to present evidence um, to rebut something that someone has said or to come up with a, a good argument that that presents your case because you're just dismissing um, whatever has been said as an opinion and therefore, by extension, unimportant, uh, not worth arguing with. So in this case, in a way, he's actually kind of true because Jesus, the uh, John Turturro character, is expressing his opinion that they're going to win uh, in the, the bowling match. And yeah... Um, there might be an argument on one side or the other of who is better and, and who is more likely to win. But the dude is not gonna, it's just not getting involved. He doesn't care enough about it. He's not going to get into an argument about it. So 
to stop the argument, to, to terminate it, he just says, well, that's your opinion. This is a technique and a fallacy that is often used where people don't have useful information or a way of backing up their their thoughts or any evidence for what they're saying. And consequently, it's something that's often used in kind of religious circles. You'll find, for example, God works in mysterious ways um, is, is an excellent thought terminating cliche because it's something that people use because, you know, a, a question is being asked, you know, why does this happen? Why would God allow a particular thing to happen? Or, you know, a question that doesn't that they don't have an answer for can be terminated and the, the the questioning, the debate, the thought process that goes into trying to figure something out can be terminated simply by saying God works in mysterious ways. You know, we don't need to understand it. I don't have an answer for you, but I but this is my answer, is that it's we're not supposed to understand. So in the same way you get people saying things like when God closes a door, he opens a window or uh, everything happens for a reason or God never gives people more than they can handle, things like that, which are all just designed to to stop the the thought process and and prevent any further questions because it's a, a basically meaningless way of answering a, a question that you don't have an answer for or a, um, a being asked to present evidence that doesn't exist. So we're gonna we're gonna play fake news, folks. I love the game; it's a great game. I understand the game as well as anybody. As well as anybody. Yes, it's time for Fake News, the game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up, and Rachel has to figure out which one is fake news. Oh, I'm going to get it right again. <laughs> Welcome back, Rachel. Yeah, by, by coming back, really, you're kind of jeopardising your 100% record at the moment. So I am, I know. Yeah, it's a risk, but yes. there you go. It's a risk you're prepared to take. So, Let's see. Um, this week's theme is, is kind of winning and losing. Right. Because he, <laughs> he still can't admit that he's lost. So, uh, yeah, here are some things that he said, mostly a fair way in the past about winners and losers. Right. So, statement number one. Mm. I wouldn't say I'm a good loser, no, but then I haven't had a lot of practice, right? I win. I'm a winner. If you're a winner, it means you see a lot of losers because you can't have winners without losers. And when you, some people say I shouldn't say losers, it's not, but it's a great word. And some people can't handle it, but I like to win. Okay, right. <laughs> Statement number two. Yes. They said, and this is uh, he, when he went to the Emmys. He mm, said, Okay, when did he go to the Emmys? Uh, well, he was doing The Apprentice. So. He said, they said, ladies and gentlemen, the next is for reality television. It's been a spectacular show. He's a spectacular host. It's been an amazing year. And I stood up and started walking because I think there was nobody even close. And they said, the winner, I'd already, I'd already stood up. I felt like a schmuck. They said, the winner is Amazing Race. I said, Amazing Race? That's a terrible. That's nothing. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, I can just see that. I would have loved that to have happened. I'm hoping that that one's true. Okay. Okay, and statement number three. I am the most fabulous whiner. I do whine because I want to win, and I'm not happy if I'm not winning. And I'm a whiner, and I'm a whiner, and I keep whining and whining until I win. And I'm going to win for the country, and I'm going to make our country great again. Oh, Jim, that's not so obvious this time. <laughs> um, and without really being able to tell you why, <laughs> my gut instinct tells me that number one is made up. Okay. And I, I don't really know why, <laughs> but um, 
Yes, I also haven't been listening to him a lot late, lately. So, um, yeah, last well, time. Well, these are all these are round. from a while a while oh, okay, ago. These yeah, ones. So, last yeah. time it was all very kind of recent and and recallable, yeah. but this isn't at all. Uh, okay, go for the losers one. Okay, so uh, of the other two, which do you think is more convincing? Um, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine that he won an Emmy ever. So I think that it's. I think that number two is um, is true. And okay. the whining one, mm, I can hear, see him still going. I'm a whiner. So um, yeah, maybe there you go. <laughs> okay, so number two, the Emmy one is real. Yes, 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 yes. Here, yes. here cool. he is. Okay. And they said, ladies and gentlemen, the next is for reality television. It's been a spectacular show. He's a spectacular host. It's been an amazing year. And I stood up and started walking because I figured there was nobody even close. And they said, the winner, I had already stood up. I felt like a schmuck. <laughs> they said, the winner is Amazing Race. I said, Amazing Race? That's a terrible, it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that actually is really rather good. <laughs> uh-huh. So, yeah, he, he didn't ever win an Emmy for The Apprentice, and it's always rankled him. And, and I have to say, um, it was quite well told. It was quite yeah. well rendered, that. That was quite true. Funny. Yes. Uh, it's, it's also kind of surprising that he would focus on him losing yes. in a story, which is kind of weird. But there you go. Yeah. I guess he told a winning story because he got people to laugh. Yeah. And uh, so you also think number three is real, and number three is real. I am the most fabulous whiner. I, I do whine because I want to win, and I'm not happy if Are I'm whiners not winning. Winners? And I am a whiner, and I'm a whiner, and I keep whining and whining until I win. And I'm going to win for the country, and I'm going to make our country great again. Yeah, he is the most wow. fabulous whiner, and That's he's great proved question, that. <laughs> Are whiners winners? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That was uh, that was Chris Cuomo. Um, who who was interviewing him, and he said basically it was a quote from someone else had had said that they thought that Trump would just be a whiner if he didn't get his own way, and and he kind of took that and ran with it and said, "Yep, absolutely, that's me. I'm the best whiner." <laughs> so I got it right again. So you got it right again. That's so you exciting. maintain your hundred percent record. That's very good. Well and done. It's only through intuition, you see. There you go. The power of intuition. One absolutely. doesn't always need evidence. No. There you go. Excellent. Thank you very much for joining me again. That's a pleasure. Have fun. (laughs) (laughs) So it's time for the part of the show that this week, at least, is called Sydney Powell is not a logical fallacy because the Trump legal team, the crack legal team are, I mean, just, uh, well, first of all, ill now because Giuliani has has contracted COVID and gone into hospital. Jenna Ellis has also today announced that she's got COVID um, and they've both been at kind of White House Christmas parties and spreading cheer and COVID all around the place. Um, So and Sidney Powell technically now is not part of Trump's legal team because although she definitely, definitely was part of Trump's legal team and he included her in tweets where he was describing his legal team and saying how great and wonderful they were, um, she uh, then got a bit too conspiracy-y for Trump and started talking about when she was talking about the the fraud that was happening, according to her, obviously, uh, in Georgia. She was saying that 
the senators, Perdue and Loeffler, had benefited from fraud happening in, in Georgia, which obviously isn't good for Trump and the Republicans. So so they cut ties with her at that point and said, well, she isn't a member of our legal team. They kind of claimed that she hadn't been. Um, but, but they said, no, she's just a lawyer doing her own thing. Coincidentally, her own thing seems to be bringing legal cases where which would hopefully overturn the uh, the election result into Trump's favour. But and so she's still going, but she's just insane and incredibly bad at her job, which is kind of amusing in various places. But it, she's managing to piss off a lot of people, most of them judges, and and lose just constantly. And it, and the number of ways that she's found to mess up, to to lose cases, and just to request relief that doesn't exist, and um, just fail in so many amazing ways is is really quite impressive. She was a, a federal prosecutor, and one assumes competent at some point. And I don't know what has happened to her over the years. Uh, maybe she was always awful and incompetent. Maybe. But it certainly seems like she is now. And she has got, I mean, so many things. I'm going to talk about a few of her sloppy mistakes and, and just bad lawyer law stuff. Um, but there's a lot more. There's far too much that I, <laughs> to, than I have time to talk about. And one of the things that came out, uh, and was kind of bandied around a lot was was her incredibly poorly spelled and poorly typed uh, filings in which in one of them in a federal district court in Michigan she mis managed to misspell district twice just in the first few lines um in a filing for a district court and i mean that was just the very beginning of of all of the typos she's got i mean there was one in uh, Wisconsin where she named a plaintiff called Derek Van Orden, who was uh, a candidate for the House of Representatives who lost, and she named him as a plaintiff in her lawsuit. He didn't know about it. He had never um, been in contact with her. He he posted a tweet that said, I learned through social media today that my name was included in a lawsuit without my permission. To be clear, I am not involved in the lawsuit seeking to overturn the, the election in Wisconsin. So she's just randomly including people who who haven't been involved in the lawsuits in her filings. Um, Chief US District Judge Pamela Pepper in Michigan was very annoyed about some of the stuff that she messed up in her filing in that court. In Pamela Pepper's response, she said that the plaintiff's motion stated that the requested relief was laid out in an attached order and that that language was highlighted and in a larger font than the rest of the motion, but there wasn't an order attached. So they they essentially didn't request any relief, really, in that one. In another section that they claimed that they had affidavits that had been mailed and FedExed to the, at the following addresses, delivered at the following addresses, and then hadn't listed any addresses under there, um, there was an attempt to correct a motion, which in the actual attempt itself was named plaintiff's corrected motion um, and indicated that the previous motion that they filed was an inadvertently filed draft 
which is not something you want to do. You don't accidentally file a version of the of a motion that you haven't finished. And um, but the newly added one didn't actually ask for a hearing on the matter. So basically, Powell is going like Giuliani, really. Powell is going around the country filing motions in different courts that are all nonsense on their face don't include the evidence she's she's tried to um, present evidence from expert witnesses who remain anonymous so there's no way of testing whether you know what their expertise is and in some cases they don't mention in the in the filings they don't kind of offer any level of expertise or say who they are in georgia um sydney powell presented documents that they claimed were undated, that that, uh, the certificate and test report that were signed validating ballots were were undated and therefore claimed that, you know, how how could they tell that it was done before a particular date? But those documents had been altered by Sidney Powell to crop the dates out. And they had the original documents and the and the other side presented the original documents and said, look, this you have you've altered these documents. I mean that I I'm not a lawyer, but that seems kind of fraudy. That doesn't seem like something you sh- you're allowed to do, to, to basically manufacture evidence for your lawsuit. Also in Georgia, the uh, the judge there, um, Judge Batten. First of all, he said that they were too late filing because they what they were claiming was that the um, the Dominion machines weren't suitable for the task, and that is is a claim that they could have made before the election, basically. So apart from the fact that they were too late filing that, he said that relief that they were looking for was to decertify the election results, which isn't a thing that exists. It's not a process that he can do. So um, that wasn't even a possibility. And he also said, finally, in their complaint, the plaintiffs essentially asked the court for perhaps the most extraordinary relief ever sought in any federal court in connection with an election. And they want this court to substitute its judgment for that of two and a half million Georgia voters who voted for Joe Biden. And this I am unwilling to do. And again, she's just pissing these judges off. In one lawsuit, she specifically is uh, talking about the Dominion voting machines causing votes to be flipped and first of all, presumably, as a mistake in in typing, said that, um, that machine-controlled algorithms deliberately run by Dominion voting systems that generally took more than 2.5% of the votes from Mr Biden and flipped them to Mr Trump. So she got it the wrong way round, claiming that the president got fraudulent votes from Biden. Um, in, I don't know if it was the same or a different Georgia uh, lawsuit. She claimed that the Dominion machines um, were flipping votes in eight different counties, and it turns out that the Dominion machines aren't even used in six of those counties. And in the two where they are used, Trump won. So it's just a, an an amazing amount of stuff that she is managing to get wrong. One lawyer on Twitter, Mike Dunford, said that. Sidney Powell, Linwood and the rest of their lunatics managed to get more things wrong while initiating a case than anyone should be able to possibly manage without making a conscious effort. And and the thing is, these are the people who are fighting on Trump's behalf. And it's 
it's kind of like they don't really mean it. I mean, because they, they seem to. They're very passionate about it and they're very they're working very hard at whatever it is they're doing. But there are good lawyers and I, I can only assume that all of the good lawyers have refused to be involved in any of this have have just said no there's no there's no case here as which is what all the judges are saying and now um trump is has won one case and lost 51 in court and trump and his and his lawyers and sydney powell and um yeah they are they are down 51 to 1 and that one was about the the uh, Secretary of State in Pennsylvania not being allowed to extend the deadline for um, for curing ballots, basically. So it affected very, very few ballots. And now we've got to the point where this week or next week the um, electors are are going to be making their um, their votes, and it will become official. And whether Trump is going to even accept that, it's not clear. But um, it seems it seems difficult to understand why they are bothering to continue when they are so bad at it, and all of the all of the judges, including most of the most of these are Republican um, appointed judges. Some a lot of them are Trump appointed judges, are saying there is you have no case, you're presenting no evidence, your witnesses are not credible, you your affidavits are contradictory and uh, not supported by other people who were in the room at the time they are error strewn bad law nonsense that it's it's shocking that they are still lawyers and um frankly i mean the, if the bar associations haven't been alerted to to the kinds of um activities that these people are doing and and have something to say about it then it's it's kind of surprising because they are claiming fraud on a level that no one has ever seen and um and they're doing it without any any evidence at all that they can bring up in court and and actually point to and get a single judge to agree exists or or bolsters their case in any way so it's it doesn't seem like they've stopped even though uh, this is today is the is kind of safe harbor day and the day that the states have to basically if they've certified the, their elections um and almost all of them have that uh, congress has to accept those certifications now and uh, the there are still a couple of lawsuits ongoing and the, I wouldn't be surprised if more lawsuits start up in the ne- over the next week I don't know um enough about it to know what can happen after the votes have been cast by the electors if there's still stuff that can be argued about but if there is and frankly probably even if there isn't then Sydney Powell I'm sure will be at the forefront of doing that and finally some things I really didn't have time to talk about as we all know Trump is a huge supporter of the troops having single-handedly got them that huge raise which turned out to be the standard annual amount totally rebuilding a military which had run out of bullets and being responsible for finally getting VA choice passed after years of other presidents failing by somehow going back in time and convincing Obama to sign the law in 2014 in fact in Trump's own words there's nobody bigger or better at military than him 
So if there's one thing we know, it's that Trump would never hold the military hostage to get what he wants. On a totally unrelated matter, Trump gave his Thanksgiving speech sitting behind a Fisher-Price My First President's desk and had a tantrum. When Diaper Don trended on Twitter, he tweeted, Twitter is sending out totally false trends that have absolutely nothing to do with what is really trending in the world. And then decided that he would veto the National Defence Authorization Act if Congress didn't include a clause repealing Section 230 so that he could punish Twitter for being mean to him. The NDAA authorises funds for a 3% pay raise for service members, healthcare, school support and childcare for military families and support for Gold Star families. But fuck all that because someone called Donny a whiny little baby and the whiny little baby couldn't handle it. In the days before Trump tried to join the Dictators Club and cosied up to Putin, those days of brightening international accord when the red bear of USSR got all westernised, brought down the Iron Curtain, embraced capitalism and agreed to let the US and everyone else fly reconnaissance planes over Russia to check for stuff like, oh, I don't know, nuclear weapons. In that optimistic post-Cold War era of the 90s, the Open Skies Treaty was signed, which allowed each of the 34 nations to keep a friendly eye on each other and prevent the build-up of distrust, disharmony and, oh, nuclear weapons. Well, not only is Trump taking the ball away now he's lost, he's tearing up treaties and literally burning the US's own reconnaissance planes on the way out, because apparently, as Mike Pompeo, human meat slab and presidential wannabe says, it saves the US money and means we'll be safer. Both outrageous and stinking life-threatening lies. So yes, it'll be a fine Republican candidate. After Trump pardoned US traitor Mike Flynn, it was reported that he was also considering pardons for his children and even Rudy Giuliani. Bad news for Rudy is that I'm betting that one would only happen if he succeeded in stealing the election for Trump. And it's not looking good. And neither is Rudy. Anyway, now Axios is reporting that Trump is just randomly offering pardons around like canapes at a White House super spreader Christmas party, frequently interrupting conversations to suggest adding the person he's talking to to his pardon list, like a power-mad Santa who definitely can't be asked to check his list twice. One source told Axios they felt awkward because the president was clearly trying to be helpful, but they didn't believe they'd committed any crimes. I'm absolutely convinced Trump will try pardoning himself before being dragged kicking and screaming from the White House, but now I'm wondering if he's also going to try some kind of blanket pardon for everyone he's ever met. I know it's the behaviour of a madman, and quite frankly the last thing we expected of someone appointed to uphold the sanctity of law, but... Attorney General Bill Barr has gone against four years of what passed for normality under Trump and actually said something that's not simply sycophantic Trump toadying. Yes, he came right out and in effect blasphemed, well, Trump-themed, saying that the Justice Department had not found sufficient evidence that would shift the results of the 2020 race. To date, we have not seen fraud on a scale that could have affected a different outcome in the election. Fair play to the guy. Make an objective ruling based on the evidence presented. You know, kind of like the guardian of the law is expected to. The right-wing media are up in arms, almost literally in Michigan. Bastions of independent fairness and equality Newsmax bleated, Some of us are wondering if he's a warrior with the Constitution or if he's just a bureaucrat. And Fox Business added, For the Attorney General of the United States to make that statement, he's either a liar or a fool or both. This is how far the blindfolded carrier of the scales of justice and impartiality has strayed from being an objectively good thing. You know, like truth and facts. Trump will, of course, fire Barr unceremoniously behind his back whilst calling him playground names as befits the dignity of the office of the president. Before he went into hospital, Rudy clearly decided last week that he was hogging the spotlight too much on his super-spreading tour of local legislatures, and so he wheeled out his star witness in Michigan, Melissa Carone. 
a woman who recently finished a year's probation for harassing her ex-boyfriend's partner by continually emailing her sex tapes she'd made while they were together. However, it would be totally fallacious to dismiss her testimony simply because of that. So instead, let's dismiss it because it was a bunch of evidence-free bullshit that's already been ruled not credible by a judge. Carone claimed not to be drunk for her testimony, but if you compare her demeanour to her appearance on Lou Dobbs' show a couple of weeks prior, the difference is striking. In Michigan, she was belligerent and combative to the point that even Rudy fucking Giuliani tried to get her to calm down a bit. It didn't work, of course. Once the Karen's out of the tube, you can't put it back. And when Republican State Representative Stephen Johnson pointed out that the poll book is not off by 30,000 votes, as she claimed, she said, What'd you guys do, take it and do something crazy with it? The fact that this is the best they've got is why Trump is now 1 and 51 in post-election lawsuits. Have you ever switched on the TV and accidentally seen a band that's somehow still performing even though they've dropped out of fashion years ago, gained weight, broke up, reformed, because all of them have died except for the one no one likes? And having watched all 45 minutes of it come away feeling like your whole life has been somehow tainted? You have? Well, you're not alone. In a throwback to those 70s TV specials for washed-up singers, old Donald Springsteen stood behind the mic and ran through his greatest hits, his worn-out grooves of stolen elections, voter fraud, dead electors, massive cover-ups and Yoko being responsible for the breakup. Social media loved it, some of it. Tell us the old stories, Donny, make us feel like we're winning. Like the old days when we could safely lick each other's sweaty faces and not have to deny worrying about death. The inevitable this-is-all-untrue stickers stuck on every single post only inflamed the righteousness of his die-hard fans. It'd be something to stir your sympathy if it wasn't so tragically deluded, as well as ignorantly working against Republican interest. Keep singing the old tunes, Donald. Everyone on your side will believe voting is fraudulent, so won't do it. And the Dems will win the runoffs in Georgia and control both houses. Biden will come into the office humming the old ABBA hit. Thank you for the music, for giving it to me. We're less than four weeks out from the Georgia Senate runoffs and three of the four candidates went to debates this week. The fourth, David Perdue, was a chicken-shit little baby who didn't want to get his ass handed to him by John Ossoff like last time. So instead, Ossoff shared the stage with an empty red lectern and we didn't get to hear Perdue answer questions about the almost 2,600 stock trades he's made during his term as senator, some of which were suspiciously well-timed. Speaking of insider trading, Kelly Loeffler did show up for her debate with Raphael Warnock. At least we think it was Kelly Loeffler, but it might have been a malfunctioning experimental hybrid of Loeffler and a Roomba, since she only seemed to have one setting. That involved saying the American dream in almost every sentence, no matter what she was asked, and never being able to utter the words Raphael Warnock without first saying radical liberal. Anyone watching while only half paying attention probably assumed CNN was glitching and kept rewinding to the previous answer whenever Kelly was asked a question. So if you don't want a chicken and a robot vacuum running Georgia and a turtle running the Senate, vote blue on January 5th. As the nation stands on the brink of voluntary self-isolation from the European Union on the threshold of freedom from being able to travel across the entirety of the continent for as long as you like and not have to go home after 90 days and then not go back again for another three months, freedom to pay VAT and import duties on any underpants you bought in the Munich branch of Marks and Spencers when you do go home, freedom from having to pay 48% extra for English lamb you might eat in a restaurant in Paris. At this pointless moment in British history, Gavin Williamson, Secretary of State for Education, and damp 14-year-old voice-breaking bullied playground oik showed he is the best the world-class, globally-embracing British education system can produce and said, nah, 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 we got the vaccine, all cause of Brexit, just cause we're better. Yeah, he actually said, we got the vaccine first because we're a better country than everyone else. Jesus H fucking Christ, where have all the actual grown-ups gone? 
Oh, there they are, running Europe, looking goggle-eyed at the giggling, snot-nosed, inbred, self-entitled bunch of idiotic tosspots supposedly in charge of what's increasingly a disunited kingdom. Whilst I'm off to prove I've got Swedish ancestry on my grandma Olaf's side, I'll leave you with a truth-revealing game you can play. Whenever someone uses the words the economy in explaining why things must happen or aren't happening, simply replace them with rich people's yacht money. As in, the economy is to blame for the unavoidable collapse of Philip Green's Arcadia Group with the loss of tens of thousands of jobs. So that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this episode. I'd like to thank my guest presenter, Rachel, and you can find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com. And if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. If you think we've used a fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can support the show at patreon.com slash ftrump. Just like our straw man level patrons, Kaz Tui, Schmutz, Mark Reiki and Amber R. Buchanan and true Scotsman level top patron Lauren. Thank you so much everyone we really appreciate your support You can connect with those awesome people as well as us and other listeners in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Fallacious Trump. All music is by the Outburst and was used with permission so until the next time on Fallacious Trump we'll leave the very last word to the Donald. That's right go home to mommy. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>